Morning, everyone. Morning, morning. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to be with all of you this morning. Um, I don't take coming up here lightly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just want to appreciate being, being with you. Um, anyone that remembers me last year, um, there was a friend who I told I'll be preaching on patience, and he laughed. Um, so we had part two this year, so I told him I was coming to the church to have a meeting, and he laughed and said, you're doing this again. Um, <laughs> with friends like those who needs enemies. So I pray God deals with him as he dealt with me. <laughs> right, um, so before I start this morning, um, I'll pray, but then there's something I just want to share before I go into, into the sermon. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, your provision, Lord. We've been able to come here and there's people tuning in online. Thank you that we've been, we have the resources to come in. Um, we have the health in which we can engage. And even if we're poorly, Lord, I ask that you heal your people. Um, you protect them and you provide for them. And Lord, as I'm here, Lord, may I only speak that which you instruct me. And I always remember when you cause the donkey to talk, Lord, let me have words which speak of your goodness and your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, over the course of the last two weeks, um, there's two groups of people that have been laid on my heart. I think first of those, they're those that are going through a rough time. Um, it can be physically, it can just be in every, any and every area of your life. And I want to encourage you with Psalm chapter 37, verse 25 to 26, which says, I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. So if that's for you online or in this room, I just pray that God will bless you with that. But then there's another group of people that over probably a year, two years, have been kind of doubting the reason for their faith. You know, we've, I'm sure we know people that have kind of said faith, religion is the cause of wars and division and so on and so forth. But with those people, I want to encourage with James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get, on your pleasures. So I've been there when I was trying to find myself, find my faith, and you know, you listen to a lot of lazy discourse. Faith in Christ is not the cause of division. Our hearts are the cause of our problems. So if our hearts are right with God, we will be of one mind and we'll be united. But when we have selfish desires, we have wars. So if anyone ever tries to say faith, religion, is a cause of conflict, it's lazy and it's not because we have unbelievers that have fought too. All right, so let that stay with you. Um, so now we go to, what's the theme? Close your eyes and just tell me. I know some of you are looking already at the screen. What's transformation and what's the word? Brilliant, brilliant. I know some of you cheated, but may God reward you anyway for those that didn't. So we're looking at Philippians. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I know I'm looking at verses two and three, but I think it's fitting to start the verse before and the verse after. 
if you'll indulge me. Sorry, there's a bit of PTSD. That's my own cool ringtone. Uh, so I panic whenever I hear that. Um, so it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Udea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And when Justin was sharing about Danny's dad, my belief is he's there, his name's written in the book of life. And um, I pray we, when it's our time, and we meet the almighty that we can find our names, our names in there as well. So what I'm going to do, just going to give a little bit of background. I'm sure this is on. It's going so well. Uh, right. So we're going to give a bit of background on the Philippian church. So if we've read Acts chapter 16, we actually realize that Paul and Silas, they actually went there. And they planted a church there um, and fellowshiped with the believers. So they met Lydia, who kind of welcomed them. But there was also a few situations. There was a young girl with a spirit where she could tell the future, and she had masters that kind of made money off her. So Paul, being Paul, cast the spirit out of the girl. Um, her masters were angry. They threw them in prison. They were beaten. But then God does something miraculous. He breaks them out of prison while they were singing and worshiping. Um, the jailer obviously seeing this thinking, okay, my head is on the line. And he tries to kill himself. And Paul's like, no, no, no. But can you imagine someone jailing you and probably even beating you? You now go, no, 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 let me introduce you to Jesus. So they introduce him and his family to Jesus. And then the whole household stayed with them for a bit. And then they were escorted out of the city. Um, so that's the context, um, which is very interesting because, you know, um, the Bible's full of very interesting drama and I know some, of, some people, there was a time when I used to tune into EastEnders. It's very rich. Um, so you can imagine something like this. It'll probably be a week-long storyline. But yes, so in light of that, that's what they had. That's what they've gone through. So now, how does this link in with metamorphosis? Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, just next slide, please. <laughs> Yes, so metamorphosis is defined as a marked change in appearance, character, condition, and function. So when we go back to Acts, which I just shared with you, um, it states that the jailer was filled with joy when he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So that means when we encounter Jesus, there is a transformation that takes place. Now, that transformation causes us to be faced with our sins, we repent of them, we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then we accept the Holy Spirit into our lives, and he makes his home of us. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 20, 24 says this. Bear with me. And it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires. Remember, we talked in James about desires, actually, are the reasons why we, we sin. Ooh, and it says to be made 
new in the attitude of your minds, which is echoing Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Why am I saying this? It's because we are instructed, first of all, to put off our old selves, to be made new in our minds, to put on our new selves, which is in Christ, in righteousness and holiness. And then also it ends with to speak truthfully to neighbors. And I've mentioned Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So if we're looking at the world is saying, no, you be here, you be there, you be divided. If someone upsets you, cut them off. No, we are saying that a way in which we can be reconciled is if we are all of one mind. Now, one thing that's very interesting is a transformed mind will help you discern the will of God. We can, we can also say God is, desires unity amongst us, which is why an example of that is we gather here. We come here, we sing songs, we worship, we pray, and we listen to someone who comes to the front. Um, to be honest, I, I saw Joe today, and Joe's like, a lot of people think it's me. I'm like, sorry. Um, if, if, you, if you're coming in expecting Joe Stevens, you've been robbed, um, gravely robbed. But no, what's the point that I'm making? It's that Philippians chapter 4 where it's talking about, you know, where Paul is instructing, you know, what happens um, to Udia and Syntyche. It can only happen if we do what it says in Ephesians 4, where we get rid of our old selves. We change our minds. Because in changing our minds, we can accept the new self, the new body. Because if our mind is still corrupt and we try to put on Christ, there'll be a conflict. And Paul says, there's a war waging in my members. So what, it's really, what, we, what I'm trying to encourage you here is your mind needs changing. Because if we've all got wicked minds, we can't be united. Because I'm looking out for myself. Do you understand? Justin's looking out for himself. Tony's looking out for himself. And we're trying to make a plan to move forward. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be there. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> so the world says we have factions and fights. But the word says we can be of one mind in agreement, forgiven, united in Jesus because of the gospel and effective in partnership together for the gospel. So, kind of shared on some of this already. Um, so yes, and one of the things that very interesting is, I think this is probably for those of you that lead, we know about Moses and how whenever the people used to um, sin, Moses would come, sacrifice for the people, try to get them on one accord. But then we get to Joshua. Joshua's at the end of his life, and people want to go and do their own thing. And it's quite interesting. Part of me kind of thinks maybe he's seen what Moses had gone through. And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, you know, we can say that and we can behold it for ourselves, but my encouragement is all of us, let us serve the Lord. Yes. So... What's the lessons for us? I'm just going to go through five takeaway lessons. Um, and it's more what I believe God has shared with me. So, first one is we are the source of our own division. It's not God. Anyone tries to say it's God? No. God wants us to be united. He wants us to be on one mind. So, if we know the Genesis account, 
you know, God created man and, you know, woman in his own image. But then when Adam sees Eve, he says, oh, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He accepts her as one. And Genesis chapter 126 says, that is why a man and woman shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they become one. But we get to Genesis chapter 3 and it says, the woman you gave me, it was her. So you can see he basically, in that moment, divorced his wife. He basically said, look, I'm separated from her. It's not us, it's her. And I think one of the things very interesting in that account is that if we are of one mind, because they both ate of the fruit, didn't they? She didn't eat of it, and he's like, oh, well, God's coming, you're in trouble. He ate of it too. So I want to encourage us is, it's us. We are the problem. James chapter 4, which also says, fights and quarrels, they start because our desires which are battling. So, which goes back to what I said is, our desires need to change because we have a new mind. We've put off our old self, we have a new mind, and we, in that new mind is telling us, put on Christ. Do you understand? You can only put on Christ with a new mind. And you can only be united once you've done the three that come before. And when you've done the three that come before, you can speak truthfully to your neighbour. So, next one. God has always been about unity. We look at Genesis chapter 1. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, bird in the sky, and animals on the land. So God is literally from himself and also with us. It's always been about unity. There's never been a demarcation or a faction or separation. God has always been united. Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, um, so if you're unfamiliar with it, I don't want to make any assumptions, is, you know, everyone was still speaking one language, and God was like, you know, they were like, oh, we're going to make this mighty tower that's going to reach up to the heavens. We know if you try to do that, you'll die, because there's no oxygen. So God comes down and says, no, let us go down. So again, God, even in preserving us, he gave us different languages, but out of that, we can all, at the end, in Revelation, we can all come with one voice. But at that point, if he didn't, they would have all died trying to reach the heavens. So again, God says, let us go down. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Again, there's a, God is literally giving of himself to us that whosoever believes in him. So God doesn't just want Justin to know him and all of us perish. He wants all of us. He desires that we may be saved. First John 4 says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Again, collective, because we've all sinned and fallen short. And Titus 3, chapter 5, um, Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Again, echoing, taking off our old selves, renewed mind, putting on Christ. And he desires all the same for all of us in the unity. John chapter 17 is a beautiful, beautiful prayer where Jesus talks about, you know, how that they may be one, speaking about believers to come, as we are one. And then when people see their unity, they will know that you sent me. How ludicrous is that? How is it that we can all be united of mind, body, in Christ, but where people like Jesus is real? So my challenge is, do people, why do people not believe Jesus is real? It's because we're not united. We're not of one mind. We're not literally united 
for the same purpose. I'm not saying all of us specifically in this room. You know, I know some people support a club in Red in Manchester. God will deal with them according to their sins. Sorry, Stu. But I'm, I'm literally saying it's, we're not talking about minor things. We're talking about being of truly one accord. Isaiah 57, 15. He dwells with those who are contrite and lowly in spirit. So God is literally saying, I dwell with those. Not I dwell with him. I dwell with those. So, next one. The spirit and the word must be what unites us. So, Jude chapter 1. I'm sharing these scriptures just so, you know, you can also check it. um, So that I'm not just making it up. But Jude chapter 1, verse 20. Verse 20 says, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself, yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord and Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So again, it's being in the Spirit. We must be in the Spirit. And one thing my dad said to me once, I was kind of going through a rough time, and we were just kind of talking about God's voice and prophecy and so on. And one thing my dad said, I've never forgotten, he said, the Spirit of God is one. If I have the Spirit, Joe has the Spirit, and Wendy has the Spirit, there should be no confusion. Because it's all from the same God. So let's, I want you to pray that you'll be filled with the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit. Because there are multiple spirits, which we'll touch on. But I want you, I, want, I really want that for you. I want you to know the Holy Spirit. To know him. Because if you're thinking something, and you're thinking, Holy Spirit, is that you? That Someone else has got that. And there'll be a link, there'll be a connection. And then we can build. John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32. So we talked about the Spirit. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, the world likes to take that last part, the truth will set you free. No, but it says, you hold on to my teaching, you're his disciples. And because you hold on to his teaching, because you're his disciples, you know the truth. So if anyone just comes to the truth will set you free, based on what? You challenge them. And, you know, if you're not confrontational, like me. But just ask them, where's that from? Because here it says, to you to know the truth and for it to set you free, you must hold on to Christ's teachings. There's an interesting video I saw on Instagram. Um, some people might have seen it. And um, this girl says, I'm a Christian. And the guy says, oh, do you hold on to what the Bible says? She said, no. And I was thinking, boy, that's a real problem. Real, real, real problem. So number four, and I think this is where we're looking now. Yeah, we're talking about unity, but what if it's not all the way there? What if we're not in agreement? But I want to share with you, not all disagreements are bad. Not all disagreements are conflicts, but all conflicts come as a result of disagreement. So now, Genesis chapter 13, beautiful. You know, Abraham has left his father He's going, following God. He's taking his nephew with him. And then they start to grow in number. And then people are fighting. Abraham's people are fighting with lots of people. And Abraham says something wonderful. He says, we are kinsmen. Let us not fight. You pick where to go, and I'll go the other way. So that's wisdom to go, look, we're fighting here, and we don't need to. Do you know what? Let's come right now and try to resolve it. That's interesting, because... Again, the world tells you when you disagree, cut someone off. But no, we can take the example in here. 
and we can say, look, it's all right. Let's stop. What do we disagree on? Can we compromise? And if not, there's nothing wrong with going, do you know what? Let's agree to disagree. I'll do this, you do this. But there's still love and respect there. Paul and Barnabas, Acts chapter 15, they, Barnabas helped him, you know, restore the sight, all of those are, you know, they're there, they're working together, but there's a disagreement and it's based on someone else. And what it is, is they're going on a missionary journey and Barnabas says, I want to bring John Mark. And Paul says, no, no, he left us, I don't want him. They disagreed and they went their separate ways. But I think God allowed that to happen because if they were together, they wouldn't have the reach that they had. But then later on, I can't remember where it is, but Paul says, bring Mark. So Paul reconciled with Mark, but in that moment, it didn't need to cause a bigger problem. They just said, I want to go here. I don't want to take him. You go our separate ways. And that's my encouragement is, it's not always bad to disagree. It's not a sign of weakness if you disagree, but it's what you do when you disagree that matters. And Matthew chapter 18 gives us a brilliant template of how we resolve conflict in the church. It says, if you have an argument with your brother, try to resolve it with him. And if he's not listening, try to get a few other people. And if he's still not listening, you get the leaders of the church. And then if he's still not listening, then you treat him as an unbeliever. So there's a step. And again, when you look at what it's saying here in Philippians 4 verse 2, it's saying, I plead with you two to resolve your argument. But then also, he says to a fellow companion who we don't know his or her name, and he says, I'm trusting that you will help this go along. But then he also brings her that we all, Clement and the rest of my co-workers, will be in the book of life. So again, one thing that I love about Philippians is it's probably Paul's nicest introductory letter. When you look at Corinthians, you look at Galatians, Paul declares his apostleship. But Paul could speak and encourage Judea and Syntyche to patch up. He could encourage the fellow companion to intervene because there was a trust. He planted the church. He knew a lot of these people. He'd lived with them. He knew people that knew them. And for that to happen, for reconciliation, there must be a bond and a trust. And one thing that's brilliant is Philippi was a Roman colony, but that Roman colony was actually retired soldiers. So a group of people that are together, that are ex-army men, we might look at them now. But Paul is literally encouraging, look, ex-army people, people, you guys that know war, let's bring about reconciliation, which is almost counterintuitive. You know, you train if you're in the army. You're trained to kill. You're trained to protect what you have. But Paul is literally trying to give them a new countercultural, counterintuitive, which is let's reconcile. Because if we don't deal with this disunity or this disharmony, it's going to affect where we go, where we end up. And also as well, and I think this might be a bit uncomfortable, when there is conflict, Matthew 18 says, take him to the leaders of the church. That means whether you're a leader or you're the group of friends that is brought before, I want to encourage you to act justly, as Micah 6, chapter 6, verse 8 says. And Proverbs 24 and Deuteronomy 1.17, they all echo this same sentiment. Is that the fourth one? Yep, still on the right one. So yes, let us be people that want to bring about unity 
that want to bring about harmony. But I want to read Proverbs chapter, chapter 6, verse 19, because I think that's a nice reminder for me to always check myself when it comes, if there's an issue at hand. And it says, no, sorry, it starts from verse 16, verse 16 in Proverbs 6. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lion tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, and a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So I want everybody here, search yourself. Am I stirring up conflict? Do I know two people that are not in agreement? Am I actually doing what the Bible says? Let me bring about reconciliation. Or am I fueling it? Am I stirring things up? Am I, I know this person, if I say this, will get him angry. We've all been there, we've been there, especially on the playground. He said this and she said this. And when you get to the beginning of it, it wasn't so much the people that were fighting, it's other people that have added, it's like Chinese whispers, isn't it? So let's not be people that stir up trouble. And also it says, a heart that devises wicked schemes. Again, we're talking about what is our heart condition and position. And last but not least, I'm going to end with this. And this is even more scary. Even demons understand the importance of unity and they speak with one voice. That is scary. So the reason why I say this is there was a man possessed by a demon and then Jesus goes to him and Jesus says, what is your name? And the demon with one voice is that Luca? <laughs> but the demon responds and says, legion, for we are many. So if you understand legion, we're talking in the thousands. Thousands of demons dwell in this one man. But they were all united because they wanted to ruin his life. They wanted to ruin the atmosphere of that area. So if demons can understand the importance of unity, how much us? How can we really be transformed if we're not united. So if now I'm someone that causes a lot of fights, but then people are like, he's actually trying to bring people along. There's a difference. There's something's changed in him. So what I'm saying to you here is, a transformation brings about unity, but that unity only comes if we are of one mind. And again, Jesus also shares in Matthew chapter 12, when you cast out a demon, what does it do? It comes back with seven more wicked and more brutal than him. And it's even harder to get that demon out because there's now more. So my parting word is, if demons can understand the importance of unity, how much more us? They use their unity for evil and wickedness and wrongdoing. But if we are united, what can't we do? And that can only happen if we what? We put off our old selves, we renew our, and then we put on, put on righteousness, which is in Christ. So please, take that away. Um, yes, I hope my words weren't too harsh. Um, but yeah, let that, take that with you. Metamorphosis brings about transformation. It is transformation. But transformation means we are united, we are one, and we are pulling together in the same direction. So yes, thank you very much, everyone.
If you want to pray with someone, um, go to someone you trust and just ask them for prayer. Um, but I would just say, pray that unity will be stamped on your minds, that we always live in light of eternity. That's my last thing. Thank you very much. Everyone.